You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from various proverbs listed in your bulletin. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so now my sermon clock has officially started, so here we go. <laughs> I know it was interesting because I was listening to Ellen read the, the Proverbs. I was kind of like... Well, this is sort of like a trivia game. Could you guess like what the topic is of this sermon just by the various Proverbs that I selected to her to read? But we are in our Proverbs series, and we have been talking all summer about how to get wisdom or how to live well, right? It's a very great and ambitious sermon series. We all want to get wisdom. We all want to live well. And our topic this morning is emotions. Emotions. So, you know, one of the things I think as I was preparing for this sermon is that emotions can be hard to describe. They can be hard to contain within a 30-minute period. They can be hard for some of us, maybe for most of us, even to talk about. It's like, well, I don't really want to talk about like my emotions. And as I was sort of digging into, well, how do we approach this topic? What made it even more difficult is there are so many different ways and philosophies and constructions of even just the lists of emotions. I found ones that were like, we have nine emotions. And then like ones where we're like, we have 20 emotions. All the way up to one that's super popular where we have apparently 123 emotions. And when you start to think about that and process that and try to live emotionally healthy, that is incredibly challenging. And it's hard. And I think that makes conversations around emotions somewhat difficult. We don't know, like, how do you start? Well, when I think about emotions, I think a lot about this guy. This is the first thing that comes to my mind. I think of Lewis Black as anger in the movie Inside Out. When you tell me about that's what I think about, which probably reveals more about me than I really should reveal about myself at this point in the sermon. But, you know, I think what's funny about anger, about the movie Inside Out, is that even Pixar, right, is trying to help us understand and process our own emotions. Because, you know, sometimes we tell people, well, you got to follow your emotions. Well, so, and then other times we tell people under no circumstance should you ever trust your emotions. 
Sometimes we try to shut our emotions down, and other times we try to tap into our emotions as a source of strength and wisdom. Sometimes we feel like we are completely in control of our emotions, and then other times we feel like we are 100% out of control and anything may happen at any moment. And so I say all of this to, to really summarize that the topic of emotions is pretty complicated. And it's pretty complicated because we're complicated, right? I'm complicated. You are complicated. God has created us as complex creatures with a host of emotions that can be super helpful, but oftentimes can be like hard to bridle. And certainly this morning as we sort of enter into this adventure together in emotions, we're not going to cover all of that, all of the things that could be said about emotions. I don't even think that we're going to scratch the surface of what can be said about 123 different emotions. But what I think we can do is try to give us a head start. Like try to give us a framework where when we leave here this morning, we have like a grid to help us start. We have a place in this community where then we can start having or continue to have emotional discussions. And so we're going to explore this topic over in the umbrella of biblical wisdom, and we're going to do it with three points. We're going to first talk about how emotions are real. Then we're going to talk about how emotions aren't ultimate. And then we're going to end our time in talking about how our emotions are for God or they're fulfilled in him. So first, let's talk about how our emotions are real. When I say emotions are real, or maybe we can style that a little bit differently, I can say to you, your emotions are real. There's a, probably a group of us that feels uncomfortable about that statement, right? We might tend toward the more stoic side of philosophy where we're trying to deny our emotions or tamp down on our emotions or sort of pretend like our emotions don't exist. We may not say that, but that's the way we live our lives. We're trying to not be super emotionally invested. We might even say uh, sort of like, I'm just not like an emotional person. And then there's another group of us who are like, feel like that's like a breath of fresh air, right? Yeah, my emotions are real, right? You're an emotionally invested person and, and sort of existing in this weird sense that our emotions are this foreign thing, like makes us feel kind of weird and, and, and awkward. But I think that that's like the beauty of the church, right? Is that some of us are on one side and some of us are on the other side and it's our mission to like meet each other in the middle and help each other out. But oftentimes this idea that our emotions aren't real can really become a defense mechanism because we're afraid to be emotional. As I listed before, Sometimes, and for some of us, we feel like we can't control our emotions, so we'd rather just not acknowledge that they're real. Or for maybe some others of us, our emotions may have led us down a path in the past of like anger and sorrow that might have felt uncontrollable, and so we just don't want to go there again. And maybe 
so true for some of us, like kind of getting excited and like emotionally, you know, sort of invested in things kind of feels like mushy and weird and like not for me. I think one of the realities of the human experience is that being emotive is a part of who we are. And it's a part of who God made us to be. I think a helpful diagram that might help us frame the various parts of our complex beings comes from Peter Scassero's Emotionally Healthy Church. It's on page 54 if you've read the book. It's really good. This is a sort of like a pie chart of how he breaks us up. Now, I'm not saying that this pie chart is like, like we've adopted this as a church, but this is just a helpful way to frame this because we could probably argue about this. Maybe we would combine some of these. This is just a place to start, right? There's an emotional part of our dimension, a social part, an intellectual part, a spiritual part, and a physical part. We are very complex humans. But what's so difficult about looking at a pie chart sometimes is that like, it's very difficult to say, well, I'm just gonna tap into like my social side right now. Or I'm just going to live into the pie chart of my intellectual side. Like, that's very, very challenging. And it's very challenging for me to preach a sermon where I just sort of like take a part of us out and I put it here and say, we're just going to talk about this thing. So I've revised this diagram a little bit to show something a bit different. So we can show the next one. I think this is a little bit more accurate. Right? We are these complex humans And all of our complexity is wrapped up in the rest of our complexity. When we talk about emotions, we're also talking about a part of our intellect. When we talk about our emotions, we're talking about a part about our spirit. And even the Bible sort of talks about it that way as well. Sometimes it talks about the heart. Sometimes it talks about the mind. Sometimes it talks about other parts of us. And now we may look at this Venn diagram and go, well, that looks like a complicated mess. But I think what we really, when we think about it, this is actually like a beautiful flower that God has created. We are all complex, beautiful beings, and sorting this out is so challenging, but it's also rewarding that we get to do it within the context of this community, right? I'm not alone in trying to understand my emotional side. We are in this together because we are all, in some ways, emotional, We all display emotions, no matter whether you say you're an emotional person or not, whether that's a sporting event or you're in Yosemite, like looking over a a giant vista and you're just like, oh my gosh, right? You get emotional or you get angry about something that's happened in your life or you get angry at the bad driving or something, right? We all end up at some point getting emotional. One of the things I do with the youth a lot of times like during our teachings is I try to get us all thinking about connections and applications in our lives. So we're going to do that together. We're going to do youth group, guys. Here we go. So one of the things that I would like you to do right now is to think about a moment in your life where you were overcome with emotion. So for the note takers, you can write that down in your notebook, or if you're not a note taker, you think about it in your mind. It could be a very positive, right, where you were overcome with joy or you were overcome with peace. Or it could be maybe more on the negative side where you were intensely angry or you were intensely sorrowful. But think about a time where you have been personally overcome with emotions. I'll give you a second, then I'll share, I'll share my silly story. Okay, everyone got their moment? Yeah. I see a lot of shaking heads, yes. 
So in 2019, the San Jose Sharks were playing the Vegas Golden Knights in a seven-game playoff series. I'm a big Sharks fan, so is my family. And my older son, Jonah, and I got to go to game seven. And it was going like the worst way that the game could ever have gone. They were down like three goals. And, you know, a three-goal deficit in a hockey game is like an unachievable mountain to overcome. And so literally in the stands, it's silent. I think Jonah at this point is crying because he knows like the Sharks have no more season left. And I'm probably getting close to crying, but I'm trying to keep it together for Jonah. And then in this moment where everyone is like, like is just absolutely dejected, our captain, Joe Pavelski, gets like hammered into the ice and he's literally like bleeding from his head on the ice. And our sorrow turned into anger, and we all wanted justice, like, at that point, right? Someone's got to pay for that. And the result of that ended up being that the Vegas Golden Knights were issued a five-minute major, which meant they had, for five minutes, they get one less player. And in the course of four minutes, they scored four goals in this five-minute major, and we were losing our minds. I mean, there were grown men hugging grown men that they had never met before. We were crying in joy. Like, literally, our tears of sorrow turned to tears of joy. Like, in this moment, we had never felt that before. It was incredible, right? So we went from sorrow to anger to joy, all in the course of, like, I don't know, 10 minutes. And it was intense and crazy. We were all in that, in SAP Center, incredibly emotional about that. And I think that we all have those types of experiences in our lives because emotions are a part of human experience. And it's not just a part of human experience, but it's also a very biblical reality. Our emotions are a very biblical reality. Peter Scassero in, in the book, Emotionally Healthy Church, says this, with one breath, God made us human. Yet somehow today we slice out the emotional part of who we are, deeming it suspect, irrelevant, or a secondary importance. Contemporary discipleship models also often esteem the spiritual more than the physical, emotional, social, and intellectual components of who we are. Nowhere, however, does a good biblical theology support such a division. But how much does that description describe our experiences both inside and outside the church? Emotions are hard to understand, so we're just going to cut that part out of who we are and of what we talk about and the way in which we try to be healthy. It's like Peter Pan, right? He's like trying to like chase down his shadow and put it back into a part of himself, but it would always be like the opposite, where we just like let the shadow go, and we're just like, we're happy if it never comes back. To help us orient our minds about how the Bible speaks about emotions, I, select, I selected five Proverbs for five different emotions to help us sort of begin to frame how the Bible talks about emotions and some of the wisdom that it gives. So the first emotion is anger. In Proverbs 19.11, it says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. There are actually a lot of Proverbs about anger, and it seems like a particularly 
important emotion that the Proverbs would like us to be better and more healthy around. Biblical wisdom would lead us to understand that we do get angry, right? We get angry. And yet, as it says here, we should be slow to anger, even to the point of overlooking an offense that's made against us. That it is good sense. It is wise to be slow to anger, and it is wise to overlook an offense. Or maybe the emotion of joy. In Proverbs 15.30, it says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The Bible talks a lot about joy and rejoicing. Biblical wisdom would say that we should be careful what we rejoice in because it is the light of our eyes or it is our desires that lead us to rejoice. So we should choose carefully what it is that we are rejoicing in or it is a good barometer whether or not we are desiring the right things depending upon what we are rejoicing about. But it gives us a little bit of help in this direction, right? It says a thing that we should be focused on for rejoicing that refreshes our bones is good news. And when we say good news in the church, we have an immediate place to go to. We go to the gospel. If we are wanting to rejoice in something good, if we are looking for refreshment, we should spend our time rejoicing in Jesus Christ and the good news that he has brought to us. Or what about jealousy? In Proverbs 27.4, it says, Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? I said that the Proverbs talk a lot about anger, but this proverb would almost illustrate that maybe anger is not the thing that we should be most worried about. But perhaps jealousy should be something that we should really be on guard against. Now, there does not a lot of wisdom connected to this proverb, except for just to say, hey, we should all be watching out. We should all be concerned. We should all be guarding our hearts against being jealous. And we'll talk a little bit more about how we might do that later in the sermon. Or what about grief? Proverbs 14.3 says, even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. The Proverbs acknowledge the reality that even in the moments of joy in our lives, There could be a a, a component of sorrow, a component of grief connected to that. This is a, a helpful way of framing our lives to really be prepared for difficult things to come. And lastly, anxiety. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. The Bible talks a lot about anxiousness. Jesus talked a lot about anxiousness. And it is biblical wisdom here in this proverb to say, well, how do we combat the anxiousness among us? How do we combat the anxiousness in our hearts? And that's to be people that give, that receive, that listen to, that dwell on good words. Are we a community that dwells on, that gives, that, that instructs one another in good words? That might be something in a, in, a, in a point of reflection for us. Now, I ran fairly quickly through those because each one of those could be like its own sermon, right? And we don't have really time for that uh, this morning. 
But I read those to illustrate this idea that the Proverbs are trying to give us good context for our emotions. And they are acknowledging that we are emotional people who need help being instructed about how to live life well when it comes to our emotions. We are all emotive creatures. God has made you to be emotional. Not only does the Proverbs acknowledge the reality of our emotions and give us wisdom to accompany them, but the Bible is actually filled with emotive people. I love stories, and I love the Old Testament. So I put together a list of emotive people in the Old Testament. And this is just a snapshot. I just sat down and thought about like some of my favorite characters and what emotions that they, that they might like exhibit. I think a lot of times we read the Old Testament and we think like, it's like reading like the nutritional facts on the side of a cereal box, right? It's like really boring. But actually, there are a lot of amazing characters and we can learn from their lives and what made them emotional and why. Like, what, let's just point out a couple here. Saul, 1 Samuel 28. Saul is incredibly anxious in that psalm. So anxious that he goes to seek wisdom from a witch of Endor. And there are no Ewoks in that story. I'll tell you that much right now. And it is a terrible, it's like, well, I don't want to be anxious. Like, so why is he anxious? He's anxious because he's afraid of losing his power. Or I look at a story like David in Daniel 6. How much calm does he show in the lion's den? Like, I want to be calm. Like Daniel is calm. Well, how is he calm? Where does he find the strength to be calm? Because he knows to the very depth and core of his being that God is sovereign and in control. And so the Bible not only gives us Proverbs, not only gives us wisdom, but gives us stories to help us understand and process our emotions as we are becoming and continuing to be emotionally healthy people. The application of this point is simply for us to acknowledge that we have been created by God to be emotional beings. And that may seem like really simple or self-evident to some of us, but I think it's important for us to state that, to recognize that, to be bought into that idea. For some of us, that might mean that we need to stop denying that we have emotions. And with the wisdom provided by the Proverbs and the rest of Scripture, be prepared to engage emotionally. And this could look very simply, like in our worship, we are called to rejoice in the delight of our eyes. If Jesus is the delight of our eyes, our rejoicing in our worship should be supported by the full strength of our emotions. We got to get invested. Another example is in our anger. Perhaps some of us are in denial that we are angry people and that we have a pro- an anger problem. First, we have to acknowledge, yes, like, I get angry. And let's also acknowledge, yeah, I'm not really slow to anger. I don't overlook any offense. And then we need to yield our anger to God and allow him to reshape and restory our lives. And that might look like something that ex- also happens within our community, right? When we recognize that we need help, There's a lot of people here that want to come alongside you and want to help. So emotions are real. And our next point is that emotions aren't ultimate. So as we begin to 
think about engaging emotionally in all of the areas of emotions, angry, sad, frustrated, happy, joyful, all of those things, it's important, right, as we said before, that we don't end up being people who suppress, who deny, who, like, just don't engage at all emotionally, but it's also true that we don't want to be people who just let our emotions control every aspect of our lives. So it's like the classic example of a pendulum, right? We don't want to be on this side just completely denying the emotional reality of who we are created to be. But we also don't want to be on this side that's completely out of control and unable to bridle our emotions. We need to find somewhere in the middle where that pendulum can land and where we can move forward. And to illustrate this point, I'd like to talk about the movie Frozen. This is a classic youth pastor move right here, guys. But in the, in the movie Frozen, at the beginning of the movie, there's a bad experience, right, with Elsa's powers. And so she's locked away. And in, in being locked away, she experiences an intense amount of fear and alienation and all sorts of trouble. And it causes not only for her, but also for her sister and those around her, like an intense amount of problems. And you can almost see that kind of like our first point, right? You can, we shouldn't deny and lock away and, and cordon off a part of our lives, right? That's not healthy. That leads to fear of our emotion, leads to alienation from others because we're not invested. We're not really giving our whole selves. But then there's this moment in the movie, right, where she sings, let it go. Because she's not going to hold back anymore. <laughs> and what I think is so funny and ironic, and it's sort of one of my pet peeves, is that she sings this song, and everyone was playing it on the radio. We're singing it, you know, in karaoke and all this stuff. But the funny part is actually the rest of the movie is actually a sort of a discussion of how letting it go was also not a good strategy, right? She let it go. And then she ended up in a glass castle by herself in fear of others, creating like horrible snow monsters. And then she ends up almost killing her sister again, right? So well, I think if we use Elsa as our amazing metaphor this morning, we shouldn't live in denial of our emotions. And we also shouldn't live in just absolutely letting them go. But we need to find a way to live healthy, emotional lives somewhere in the middle. And the Proverbs give us some wisdom in this direction. It says in Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Or as the King James Version would say, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. I love this word picture, right? Because it help, uh, helps us contextualize. What does it look like when we're out of control? We're like a city that's broken down without walls. Whenever the scriptures use a metaphor, it's like God saying, I'm trying to help you. Let me tell you a story. And I love that about our God. He tells us so many stories because I need stories. And most of us, when we think of that metaphor, like a city broken down without walls, we should, are like, our biblical wheels should be turning because we all just went through the book of Nehemiah together. 
And we heard in Nehemiah how difficult it is to have a city that is without walls, that is without protection. As we were talking about Nehemiah and talking about Jerusalem in that time where there were no walls, where Nehemiah and the people hadn't started rebuilding the wall, we framed the difficulty of that situation in several ways. And I'm just going to list them here. Jerusalem was vulnerable in that state. Jerusalem was dangerous to those around it. It wasn't a safe place for those that lived outside the city. It was dangerous inside the city, right? There's no protection. It became a byword, right? People talked bad about Jerusalem. And it was this like beacon of it needed help. And I think for some of us, if we're struggling with emotional control, we can then personalize these attributes. That when we struggle with self-control, we're vulnerable. We can become dangerous to those around us. We can become dangerous to ourselves. People might say bad things about us. Not that we should necessarily invest in that, but that might just be a reality. But we should recognize that in those moments, we need help. And there, are, there is help. The call to live in self-control, to build the walls, right, that protect us, is something that is just not isolated to this particular passage in Proverbs, but it's actually a theme in the Bible, this idea of self-control. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter tells his listeners to be sober-minded. He's trying to tell them, right, we're, we're meant to be focused, in control, on mission, at going in the right direction. In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah just tells us, guys, like the heart is deceitful. Like you can't trust like everything that's inside of you. In Ephesians 5, like Paul is instructing the Ephesians, guys, you, got, you guys can't be going off and getting drunk. Like that's not okay. And all of these scriptures are trying to lead us in a direction where we're meant as followers of Jesus to live self-controlled lives. Where we're not living like a city that doesn't have any walls. And this means that our emotions are also not an excuse. We should not justify our actions by our emotions we cannot just say, well, I'm just like an emotional person and it just came out that way. We need to be mindful of the limits that we have of our control. And when we feel ourselves reaching that limit, we need to be wise and maybe take a step back or ask for help or say, raise your hand and say, I need a brother or I need a sister who's going to enter into this thing with me. We should be aware of the things and the situations where we may find the need for support before we lose it. But I think that also means that we need to be mindful of our positive emotions as well. We're supposed to be in control of those as well, but also using them effectively. So when we look at this picture, 
right? We're meant to not be denying our emotions, but we're also meant to not be like just letting them loose, going crazy, but somewhere in the middle. Well, how do we begin down that path of being emotionally healthy? And we're going to end on that point, which is emotions are for God. In the movie uh, Ratatouille, right, which is about like a rat who controls a human by his hair and they cook together, which is interesting. Um, when Remy experiences different flavors, he sees these like swirls of color, kind of like jazz, right? Our emotions can be a lot like that. Like we're aware that we are being emotional or that we are having an emotional response. But like jazz, like they can be hard to direct or to contextualize or to control. So how can we be good stewards of our emotions? Uh, both like constraining perhaps the negative emotions, but also living into the positive ones. Like how can we do that? I think the Bible actually gives us great context for our emotions. And ultimately the aim of the scriptures is to find our emotional fulfillment first in God himself. We see that as a theme for a lot of things in the Bible, where right, it says in the Bible that, that everything is made by him, for him, and to him. So why should our emotions not be the same way? So I'm going to go through the five emotions that I started with in the Proverbs, and we're going to talk a little bit about how then the scriptures like sort of put a capstone on that in, in God. So anger, right? We said in the Proverbs, it said, you need to be slow to anger and overlook an offense. Well, in Deuteronomy 32, 35, God says, vengeance is mine. So what is usually the output of our angry emotion? It's to seek retribution and vengeance for whatever has been done to us. But the way in which our anger is fulfilled, the way in which it's, it's more perfectly fulfilled, is when we yield that anger to God and allow him to deal out the vengeance that's needed. Because he is sovereign. He is in control. He knows what's right to do in that moment. Or our joy, and we already sort of talked about this, right? Our joy, we're meant to be joyful, rejoicing people over and over in the scriptures like in Psalm 35, verse 9, it says that we should rejoice in the Lord. Right? That if we're looking for an avenue uh, for our joy, an avenue for rejoicing, or we're feeling joy deprived in our lives, how are we doing rejoicing in the Lord? It's a good way to think about it. It's a good way to right the ship, to come ready to rejoice, to come ready to sing. Or what about that pesky one of, Jealousy. Romans 13 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in, and then he lists a bunch of bad things, but one of them is jealousy. Not in jealousy. Then he gives us the antidote to that. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, when we're looking at our neighbor and we're going, oh man, like I want what they want. We need to remind ourselves with good words that in Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what else could we possibly 
need other than Jesus Christ. Easier said than done. I recognize that. Or what about our grief? Actually, I think we read this earlier this morning already. Isaiah 53 says, Surely, speaking of Jesus, he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Jesus is the place where we go, like with our griefs and our sorrows, because he has already carried them. Or what about our anxiety? 1 Peter 5.7 tells us to cast all, not some, all our anxieties on Jesus. There is this sense when you start to think about how the Bible encapsulates this discussion, that we're meant as followers of God to be living in this reality as if God is prepared to fulfill all of our needs. And so being emotionally healthy is less about like striving to be emotionally healthy, but sort of letting go, looking around, and living in the reality that God's presence is with you that his spirit is with you and he is prepared to satisfy every need that you might come up with. He is our source. He is our goal. He is our everything. He's in control. He's the one who's promised to protect us. He is the one who has saved us and continues to save us. It's not a matter of, again, of straining for effort as much as it is opening ourselves up to the reality of who God is and his presence with us. But perhaps for some of us, that still seems like really abstract, Pastor David. Like, it's like the USB cord that we're trying to plug in, right? And we're like, I don't know, I've tried both ways and it still won't go in. I don't know why. I'm going to leave, you, leave us with one more thought on this. Something that is so awesome about our God is that he has experienced emotions just like us. When we read the stories of Jesus in the gospel, we find him being emotive throughout. Again, he's not like the table of contents on the side of the cereal box, right? The nutritional facts. He is like a very like 3D person who's awesome and amazing. And he leaps off the page. I put a list together of just some of the stories in the Bible where Jesus is emotional. He weeps. He got angry. He was joyful. He felt anguish. He was compassionate. He was calm. He adored his father. And this is just like a snapshot. I'm sure some of you could probably come up with a better list than me. I think sometimes for us, whether it's that we're afraid to sing in church like we mean it, or we're afraid to bring God our anger, or we're timid to admit that we're grieving, or we feel like adoring God is like weird and mushy and like for other people, not me, or we're like dying the slow death of anguish inside of us alone. It is helpful and instructive to know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, lived a life like we lived and was emotional, like we are emotional, yet without sin. That when the book of Hebrews says that he is the sympathetic high priest, that he's not just sympathetic by proxy, but he's sympathetic by experience. 
So some of us need this morning to let go and let God have our emotions in a way that causes us to be expressive about who he is and what he's done. Some of us need to let go and let God take care of our emotional hurt and issues. Like he's big enough for that, trust me. And there's a lot of help here for that. Some of us may be searching and wondering, what does it look like to engage with a God who is willing to accept your emotional baggage? Jesus is awesome. He's awesome. And he loves you. And he has borne your sorrows. He's borne your griefs. He has nailed them to the cross. And he just extends his arms and he says, come and follow me. Let's pray. Father, we...